Welcome and thanks for listening to the sermon podcast from First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu. Make no mistake, life is difficult with or without a pandemic. How do we cope without complaining and being annoying? First Pres Senior Pastor Dan Chun has the answer. This morning, I want to talk about complaining. Three weeks ago, I talked about criticizing. Then I talked about, last week, the COVID crisis. Now I want to talk about complaining. I feel like Sesame Street, where a Muppet says, this week's topic starts with the letter C. <laughs> and if I can add another C word to that list, it is courage. How can we have courage when we suffer and not complain? Complaining. We do it a lot, don't we? We often have justifiable reasons to complain, and there is a lot to complain about right now. But ultimately, living a life of complaining is not healthy or helpful. And if you're one who complains a lot, you may soon discover you're not fun to be with. And friends may start to retreat when they see you coming because they don't want a constant barrage of complaining. And if you're going through a tough time, you want friends who are supportive and not those who might say the wrong thing at the wrong time like Job's friend or wife in the Bible. You want friends who help you through the bad times and even process it and interpret it. And when the roles are reversed, you want to become a friend to those suffering and help them, not by complaining, but by saying the right thing so they move towards God and not away from him. The story of Job in the Bible is a fascinating, uh, inspiring story. For much of his story, Job suffers greatly. And due to marauding armies, he loses his oxen, his sheep, his camels, and donkeys, and all of his field hands are killed. And then a tornado comes that kills all of his children. Incredibly, in response, he did not sin or complain or blame God. And then we come to today's reading and things get even worse. Today's passage from the lectionary is from the book of Job and I'm gonna read it from the message, which is a paraphrase of this biblical passage for a more graphic understanding of this episode, but loses nothing in the translation. And if you so desire, I invite you to please stand as part of our worship as I read from God's word, if you desire to. And if you're at home, you can stand where you are. I learned from the newcomers class that um, John and Kat helped lead with me yesterday that people stand up in their homes, which is totally awesome. Job chapter one, verse one. Job was a man who lived in Uz. He was honest inside and out, a man of his word who was totally devoted to God and hated evil with a passion. One day, when the angels came to report to God, Satan also showed up. God singled out Satan saying, and what have you been up to? And Satan answered God, oh, going here and there, checking things out. Then God said to Satan, have you noticed my friend Job? There's no one quite like him, is there? Honest true to his word, totally devoted to God, hating evil. He still has a firm grip on his integrity. You tried to trick me into destroying him, but didn't work. Satan answered, 
A human would do anything to save his life. But what do you think would happen if you reached out and took away his health? He'd curse you to your face. That's what. God said, all right, go ahead. You can do what you like with him, but mind you, don't kill him. Satan left God and struck Job with terrible sores. Job was ulcers and scabs from head to foot. They itched and oozed so badly that he took a piece of broken pottery to scrape himself and then went and sat on a trash heap among the ashes. His wife said, still holding on to your precious integrity, are you? Curse God and be done with it. He told her, you're talking like an empty-headed fool. We take the good days from God. Why not also the bad days? Whoa, big, big verse there. Not once through all this did Job sin. He said nothing against God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. His faith was sturdy, resilient, strong. But after his wife talks to him and three friends come to him, his faith doesn't get stronger but wobbles and Job begins to doubt and get depressed. He then lets his bitterness fly and says, Obliterate the day I was born. Blank out the night I was conceived. Let it be a black hole in space. May God above forget it ever happened. Erase it from the books. May the day of my birth be buried in deep darkness, shrouded by the fog, swallowed by the night. And the night of my conception, the devil take it. Rip the date off the calendar. Delete it from the almanac. Okay, Job is feeling a little down here. Maybe depressed, he complains about life, he complains about his misfortune, he complains about a silent God. I think we've all been there in some form of that, right? It's okay to do that for a season. But then, finally, God answers Job and lays out the reality of who God is and says, Job, why do you confuse the issue? Why do you talk about, why do you, why do you talk without knowing what you're talking about? Pull yourself together, Job, up on your feet, stand tall. I have some questions for you and I want some straight answers. Where were you when I created the earth? Tell me, since you know so much, who decided on its size? Certainly you'll know that. Who came up with the blueprints and measurements? How was its foundation poured? And who set the cornerstone while the morning stars sang in chorus and all the angels shouted praise? And who took charge of the ocean when it gushed forth like a baby from the womb? That was me. I wrapped it in soft clouds and tucked it in safely at night. Okay, nothing like getting reprimanded by God. For 129 verses, God lets it rip and lays out the reality to Job about how God knows exactly what he's doing and that he, not Job, is all-powerful and omniscient, all-knowing. Then Job comes to his senses, nothing like being yelled at by God, and says, okay, I know that you can do all things and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? 
Surely I spoke of things I didn't understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now and I will speak. I will question you and you shall answer me. My ears had heard of you and now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. What I like about the story of Job is that it is realistic. Job starts off as a strong man of faith and in the end, he returns to his strong uh, faith and even repents of doubting God's goodness. But in between, he had major doubts and depression and he voices his heartache. He starts off strong, then kind of loses his faith footing, but then came back strong. My prayer for you all is that you will have a strong faith in the midst of pain and suffering. But I would understand it if you go through a season of doubt and depression, complaining, and even anger. That's natural. But don't stay there. Don't live a life of complaining. Remember, Psalm 23 talks about walking through the valley of the shadow of death. It doesn't say, stop there. But Dan, you say, you don't know how hard my life has been. I know life can be very difficult and painful. But I also know we can come back to faith in God in the end. That is my hope and prayer for you all. So how can we have courage and not complain? Let me start off light and then get serious. Clearly, to be courageous, you'll need friends who are courageous, friends who give you wise advice, friends who know how to listen, friends, Job's friends did their best with Job when they just sat and listened to his woes. They didn't say anything. They didn't help as much as they gave some good advice, but then they continued to give more advice and more advice, and then they gave not so good advice. And I, I think of the story of how people's interpretation of, event, of events may not be helpful. I remember the anecdote of, of a woman who sat next to her husband lying in a hospital bed. And he looked at her with thoughtful, teary eyes and said, you know what, honey? You've been with me through all the bad times. When I got fired, you were there to support me. When my business failed, you were there. When I got shot, you were by my side. When we lost the house, you stayed right there. When my health began to fail, you were still by my side. You know what, Martha? What, dear? She gently asked, smiling as her heart began to swell with warmth. He replied, I'm beginning to think you're bad luck. <laughs> that, my friends, is not the right interpretation of events. So, we see what we desperately need is a community of faith, like a church, like a small group, a life group to keep on, us on course towards Jesus, to keep us posted to the North Star, or the Star of Bethlehem. 
And if you're not in a small group, you need to seriously consider that. And you can go on the website, call the office, and we can help. Pastor Steve is actually in charge of all the small groups. Life is super hard to go alone. But let's go a bit deeper. In the beginning of Job's story, Job had a strong faith. He would not doubt God. His theology was right on. As he said to, God, uh, said to his wife, remember, should we accept only good things from the hand of God and never anything bad? Now that's very profound. Should we accept only good things from the hand of God and, not, and never anything bad? When there is tremendous pain in our lives, we can doubt that familiar verse in the Bible, in the book of Romans, where it says that all things work together for good. Let me read the entire verse from the book of Romans in the Bible that says that. Romans 8:28. We know that all things, not some things, all things, everybody say that, all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Now, there's part of us that goes, really? All things? It's not that all things work together for good for anyone, if you read the verse carefully. They work together for good for those who love God and who have obediently answered the call from God on their lives. And then they will understand his purpose. Man, I wish we could believe this because... We're in really hard times. Just before I went on vacation, I presided at three funerals in, th in six weeks for people who attended our church. There's one at this morning after the second service, too. You may not know this, but our church staff has been going through deep valleys of suffering. Four years ago, Chaplain Mariana lost her husband, Rich. Four months later, executive coordinator Jenny lost her husband, Carl. Three years ago, our beloved organist, Bibi, passed away. Last year, our office manager, Linda, died of cancer. The same year, communications coordinator, Rosalia, was diagnosed with cancer and had surgery. And Gary, who heads up our prayer team, years before that, around seven years or so, uh, Gary was diagnosed with cancer. But know that both are okay and they're going through treatment. In addition, last year, almost to this day, on our staff, Patty, one of our administrative assistants, lost her husband, Pastor Francis. Two of our staff suffered concussions in the last two months. And yet our staff has been faithfully, with courage, been supporting you all. One can say to God, enough already. That is way too much pain for one church staff. In addition, three in the circle of our church family have passed away due to COVID. In addition, Many have lost jobs, or their business, or their health has suffered. I heard yesterday that members of our church, you may remember them, Mike and Jenny Wu, moved to New Jersey 
years ago, finally bought a condominium in Hoboken, uh, got the keys in February of this year, moved in. Four days later, a fire breaks out, adjacent apartment to theirs, and due to the fire, their entire condo was damaged. Four days all, and all of their possessions were damaged. Um, there is much pain in this world. And I know the Woos had to live in a hotel room, 300 square feet, with a, a newborn and their dog. And they work at home for both their jobs. All they had was one suitcase and a bag from um, Ikea. Ikea. How do you pronounce it? Ikea. And that's all they had for four months. This world is not our ultimate home. We live between the fullness of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this earth. And in this difficult time, we need to understand that part of life is that things are unexpected and they are sad and hard. I think of a recent newsletter written by Logos bookstore manager Steve Prickett from Kentucky. And starting with Philippians 4, 6, he wrote, don't worry about anything, instead pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. And then he wrote this, Marie and I have five grandchildren starting school this week. We've been praying for them and their parents as we've watched them prepare. Even in a normal year, there can be so much to be anxious about. What if they don't fit in? What if the subjects are too difficult? How are we going to pay for all the extras? Will our kids make friends or be left out? And then we have the problems unique to this past couple of years. How is the COVID crisis going to play out as a new school year begins? Will our kids be learning remotely or going part-time again? So much is unknown while so much is at stake. I genuinely empathize with all of you that have children beginning school. It can be a tough time with much uncertainty. And then he writes this, very wise perspective of life. There will always be unknowns. There will always be things outside my control. There will always be bumps in the road. And whatever comes, with God's help, we can make it through. And that, my friends, I believe, is the faith of Job. It's a realistic view that life is full of unknowns. There will be, not might be, there will be bumps in the road. But all things will work together for good for those who love him and are called by him. And today, right now, in this room or wherever you are online, we might feel like Job. Where is God? I am in so much pain. Do all things really work for good? Is that just a catchy phrase from the Bible or from some Netflix series called Manifest? All I can say is that as you approach God and learn to love him, then someday you might see the good in life. The good from a God who helps us in our grief and suffering. He really wants the best for us, and he will stand with us. He will be with us always. We can read this tale of Job and think, this is a fairy tale. This is really a Hallmark movie. No way could someone who has lost all his possessions and his children bounce back with a faith in God. No way. But what the Bible is saying, and I'm here to say today, is yes, way. <coughs> there is a way to live and love God and see how things can work together for good. 
and not complain. Let me tell you a true story. Many years ago, I met a real hero of faith. I had the good fortune of spending an hour with her alone as she told her story that I was writing up for a little conference town newspaper in Montreat, North Carolina. Her name was Elizabeth Elliot. She was so inspiring to me. She passed away six years ago, but her proverbs have lived with me for many years. She would say things like, leave it all in the hands that were wounded for you. Oh, okay. She would say, the will of God is never exactly what you expect it to be. It may seem to be much worse, but in the end, it's going to be a lot better and a lot bigger. Okay. Failure means nothing now, only that it taught me life. Wow. Today is mine, tomorrow is none of my business. Oh yeah, Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. I remember that. To be a follower of the crucified one means sooner or later a personal encounter with the cross. And the cross always entails loss. Wow. But what was the crucible that allowed her faith to be forged so strong and to be so resilient and to understand these lessons? Were these pithy sayings just fluff? Or did it really come from her own life? How was her courage formed so she would not complain in life? In her book, These Strange Ashes, she tells of her first years of Bible translating in South America. And she had a key translator on her team who she said was God's answer to prayer. She prayed so long for this translator. And this man was key to the whole of the language work. The only man on earth who spoke um, both Spanish and the language of the people they were translating. But then one day, he was senselessly shot and died. And she wrote that her entire translation work now came to a sudden full stop. Such violence, such loss of life and work. How does one now say all things work together for good? Why not complain? Then the violence of nature hit. A huge flood descended upon her fiance's mission work in a separate area and wiping out the entire compound, all buildings down, gone. Then a thief robbed Elizabeth's additional translation work and all of her files, all of her years of work went down the drain. It's like the death of a dream, the ending of a vision to which you felt called. This is not Job. This is Elizabeth Elliot of modern times. Later, Elizabeth married her fiancé, Jim Elliot, who as one of five young adult missionary men went to the Waodani people in Ecuador uh, in the Amazonian, Amazonian uh, rainforest, and they went to do good, and they loved each other so much. But then tragedy struck again. Her husband and all four of his colleagues were speared to death by the people with whom they're trying to share the gospel. Elizabeth now became a grief-stricken young widow who was left with a 10-month-old daughter. 
And if you can believe this, like Job's well-meaning friends, Elizabeth said Christians would tell Elizabeth that a loving God would never allow such events happen to a faithful believer. Oh, that's got to hurt. Can she complain now? In her classic book, Through Gates of Splendor, she wrote against that simplistic faith that there's a silver lining in everything that would reconcile all the pain. The pain will live on, she said. She wrote this, God is God. I dethrone him in my heart if I demand that he act in ways that satisfy my idea of justice. It is the same spirit that taunted Jesus. If thou be the son of God, come down from the cross. There is unbelief. There is even rebellion in the attitude that says, God has no right to do this to five men and less. To be sure, life is incredibly painful. In addition to the pandemic, life is full of sorrow and hard turns and disappointments and betrayal. There is much tragedy in this world. You are not alone. You know, personally, as many of you know, I've gone through a divorce in a town where I didn't know many was a seminary student with no job, wondered to a divorce lawyer, how do I get food stamps? I've had terrorists succeed in killing a distant cousin and nearly killing a first cousin at the September 11 attack in New York 20 years ago. I've had loved ones take their own life, four to be exact. Our businesses and ministries have suffered financially in the lockdown due to COVID. Like many of you, I've lost my mom and dad. Tremendous sorrow, the full spectrum of pain. But how do we keep the faith? How do we not live a life of complaining and always saying, why me, why me? Why is the grass seemingly greener on the other side? There needs to be made a decision in life. You only need to decide once. And once you make that decision, cling to it and never let it go. And it revolves around this. Did a loving God come to earth in the form of Jesus? And if he did, will I dedicate my life to him and ask for his Holy Spirit to live in me? And with him, I'll try to have courage in the midst of pain. And if I make that decision and never doubt it, then only when I'm in the bosom of God will I be able to see that all things actually work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. His purpose, not mine. Make that decision once and never turn back. It's like Sim Fulcher, the former associate pastor of this church who I talked to maybe once or twice a month. He would go to the gym regularly. He was the most buff of us all. And... Uh, he made the decision only once to exercise. And if you make the decision once, you never have to make it weekly or daily. Like, should I exercise or not? I wonder if I should exercise. Sim Fulcher made the decision once and meant it. And so he dutifully went to the gym every week and lifted weights, still does in his 80s. The decision was final. I always remember that. You make decisions once and you keep them. You don't renegotiate every day. Make the decision to trust God or not. 
You will then be in the secret place that talks about in Psalm 81. In distress you called and I rescued you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. The secret place of thunder might refer to God, uh, when God called Moses and his people and there was great thundering, but only God could, he, only Moses could hear God's voice in all of that loud rumbling. The secret place is the place of prayer. The secret place is the place of intimacy with God. It's a place of worship. It's a place of discernment. It's a place to live in, in the shadow of the Almighty as Elizabeth Elliot's book uh, title says, where the psalm says, those who live in the shadow, or live in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord, it says. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God, and I trust him, for he will rescue you from every trap and protect you from deadly disease. He will cover you with his feathers. He will shelter you with his wings. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. Don't be afraid of the terrors of the night, nor the arrows that fly in the day. Do not dread the disease that stalks in darkness, nor the disaster that strikes at midday. You see, whether it's a season of a pandemic disease or a tragic accident or an illness or loss of finances or loss of a relationship, make the decision once and for all to not turn back, but to live in that secret place close to God in the safety under his wings in the shadow of the Almighty and you will find you will no longer complain. Your outlook in life will be changed. If you make the decision to believe and follow Christ, then make that decision once and keep it and hold on to it and cherish it and don't let go no matter what the circumstances. But grow in it. Be discipled. Read the Bible. Why? Because you made that one decision. And then you'll, still, you'll start thinking of others and their plight and not just your own. There is a mission and calling on your life now to help others even though you're in pain. You will help to release the poor in Jesus' name. Why? Because you made that one decision to follow him and that was part of the deal. Did not Jesus say in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 25 that it's the same deal to help the widows and the incarcerated and to help love the unlovable, help the poor, for forgive the unforgivable? And if you're a widow, Remember the words of Ruth in the Bible, who upon losing her husband, thought not about herself, but rather about her defenseless, poverty-stricken mother-in-law, Naomi, and said to her, wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. And your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. And wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. She had a mission to help another that transcended her own recent grief and sadness in losing her husband. Look for the mission that God will give you, for you still have much to do in this life. For once you make the decision, you who love God are called according to his purpose. You won't complain about your circumstances because you made that one decision that no matter how crappy life is, God is with you and all things will work for good if you love the Lord and follow him.
In the end, you should know. Can you believe this? Elizabeth Elliot went back to the same tribe that killed her husband and the four other men. And eventually that Ecuadorian tribe converted to Christ. She forgave them. All things work together for good, but far from how we could have imagined. And for Miles and Jenny Wu in Hoboken, New Jersey, they are grateful to be living a, a minimalist life, grateful that it's not things that are important, as Mike told me, grateful that due to COVID they were home during the day when the fire broke out and they could save their child and their dog. Their faith is even stronger now, they said. The reason you can make that one decision to follow Jesus is when you realize how much God loves you. God is so amazingly loving and is in love with you that he came to this earth in the form of Jesus and did so willingly and not out of obligation. Remember, he was whipped for us. He was tortured for us. He was punched for us. He was stabbed for us, betrayed for us, and then died for us so that he would cover all of our sins, not his, but ours, that they might be erased so that we could always be in the Heavenly Father's holy presence in that secret place in the shadow of the Almighty. That one decision of following Jesus has helped me through so much pain. The pain I had just described to you earlier, plus a lot more. You may not realize this, but I preside at about 12 funerals a year. Those are the ones I preside at, not just the ones I attend. And the reason they are painful is that they're all friends. Roz is with me for a lot of them. Every church member who dies, I consider a friend who supported and was part of this community. Then there are the loved ones of mine who died who are outside the church. So in a sense, I've said, I've always had this low degree of grieving because I'm constantly saying goodbye. And as you've heard me say earlier this morning, some are tragic deaths that were unnecessary. But I cling to the fact that God loves me and them. I cling to the hope that God will always be with me. I cling to the reality that God is so loving that he could sustain the faith and life of Christ followers like Elizabeth Elliot or like Johnny Erickson who became a quadriplegic after a diving accident, or a Cory ten Boom who was put in a Nazi concentration camp where her father and sister died for hiding Jews during World War II. And all three of those women, I've had the chance to interview and spend significant time with them as they dedicate their lives to help others. My heroes are not pop singers or famous authors. It's women like these who in tremendous pain and setbacks who have courageously kept the faith to help and focus on others. But the good news is, you too can be like them if you make that decision that Jesus is real and decide to follow him because he is your loving Lord. And I emphasize the word loving. He is your loving Lord who died on a cross for you speared to death by nails to give you the gospel. In closing, let me just say, the last time I met Elizabeth Elliot, 
was at the Urbana Missions Conference at the University of Illinois Champaign campus, and we rode together in a shuttle uh, to the big arena where she would speak. And one night I heard her say on stage these words that put my suffering all in perspective. She said this, those hands that keep a million worlds from spinning into oblivion were nailed motionless to a cross for us. Can you trust him? She asked. And I say today, yes. I say yes. And what about you? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you've done so much for us. Sometimes it just helps to hear a message to remind us of all that you've done. And so Lord, today, some of the people here in this room or some who are watching online, maybe they're not even in Hawaii, maybe they're in on the mainland, maybe they're in another country. And somehow through the Holy Spirit, you're asking them the question, will they trust you? And will they decide to follow you? And so, Lord, I'm going to lead all of us in a prayer. And there'll be some here, maybe some online, who will make the decision to say, okay, I want you to be my Lord. And so those who might want to do that could just follow in their hearts and say a simple prayer silently in their hearts that says this, and they can pray with me. Dear Lord, sorry that I may have been ignoring you. Sorry that I haven't realized the full extent of your love. Sorry that I didn't realize all that you were offering me. But thank you that you're always so forgiving. Thank you that you forgive my sins. Thank you that you died for my sins. And so please come into my life right now. Send your Holy Spirit. And today I make that decision to follow you for the rest of my life. And for some, Lord, it's a first-time decision. For some, it's a rededication of this is it. No turning back. I have decided to follow you in all areas of my life, socially, financially, business-wise, and family. And Lord, as we are still in prayer with heads bowed and eyes closed, if there are some here who made that decision as a first-time dedication or rededication, if you could just slip your hand up, it's always important to be real in our commitments and just say, in a sense, Pastor Dan, I made that decision. Just raise your hand and I'll, I'll see it. I see the one back there. Thank you. And any over here. And online, if you make that decision, just hit that button that says, I commit my life to Christ. Here in the sanctuary, you can lower your hands. And, and those of you online, after you've hit that button, um, also there's another button. If you want prayer, you can hit that. And and sometimes it's very helpful to seal that decision, pray with somebody, have that person pray for you, 
that the Holy Spirit might come into your life. And so, Lord, thank you for this time together as we continue in worship, as we continue in communion and, and with singing. And, Lord, this is all for you as our Valentine, in a sense, to thank you for what you've done. In Christ's name, amen. Well, it's been a rich service to be together. Thank you for coming. Those of you online, we are so grateful you are with us. Hope to see you next week and uh, receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and his countenance be upon you. And may you know deep in your heart the incredible love that God has for you, the love of God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And may you live a life of courage and not complaining. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you online. Ahui ho. Great to see you. Hope to see you next week. God bless. Aloha. Life is difficult, but there are also many lives like Job's and Elizabeth Elliot's that are evidence that all things work together for God's purpose. If you want to catch up on or re-listen to previous services, you can find past sermons on our websites, fpchawaii.org and thevinehawaii.org. You can also find First Press sermons on most major podcast services and now on YouTube. In-person worship continues, but in limited capacity. There are two live services at 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. every Sunday morning. If you'd like to participate, we ask that you sign up through the website on a weekly basis. Both services will be streamed live on the church websites, fpchawaii.org and thevinehawaii.org. Continue to check your email for links to sermons, church news and updates, registration for our in-person worship, and lots more. And as always, if there's anything First Pres can do for you, you can always reach the church through the website or just call 808-532-1111. For Pastor Dan Chun and the entire staff at First Pres, I'm Michael Shishido. Until next time, God bless you. Stay safe and thank you for listening. This sermon podcast is copyright 2021 and produced by the Media Ministry of First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu.